This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 436. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, understanding how our data is used on Data Privacy Day. Google has kicked off an information war about the news media bargaining code, but They've also presented a solution. And Tesla has unveiled the latest version of the Model S electric car. In the Tech Guide review, we're going to take a look at the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. Norton releases a new internet security for gamers. And Ring launches its smallest and cheapest video doorbell yet. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. A few days ago, last week, it was Data Privacy Day. And what better day to use to understand how our data is used, how much data is collected. It's it's actually quite surprising. I'd say actually alarming the amount of data that is collected in everything we do our, on the internet, on our apps, wherever we go. It, we are just data farms for these apps and websites and devices. And it is uh, really, I think, important for us to understand just the breadth of the amount of data that we are giving up about ourselves, but also to to understand how it's used and also what we can do about it. Uh, there is there are many ways we can control and see the types the type of data that we're sharing, and one of the companies that's helping us do that is actually Apple. Apple have been at the forefront of privacy and they've been real advocates for data transparency and they they use Data Privacy Day as an opportunity. They, they shared a report, uh, quite an eye-opening report, on, uh, on Data Privacy Day. It's called A Day in the Life of Your Data. So it, it really, it's a report that was really uh, illustrated and really simply explains how privacy features uh, across Apple's portfolio, how it works and how it works just in general with apps and everything like that. So it was designed to help users understand how third-party companies collect their data and how they use it. So uh, the the example that Apple gives is obviously in apps, but uh, we'll also go on to talk about how what Apple's doing to put in place these measures for you to understand what's going on. And we'll also mention too why they're also in a head-to-head battle with Facebook about how data is used as well. Uh, The report is uh, a description of the, they describe the tools that Apple provides for, to help customers make tracking more transparent and how they can even take more control. One thing that you probably don't know is that apps, on average, this is average, have six trackers from other companies that are designed to collect and track people and their personal information. So when you use an app, when you make a payment, whatever you do, that app that, that data is collected. And 
that data is then aggregated and shared and monetized. Now, the data industry, and this blew me away, the data industry is now valued at $227 billion US dollars per year. That's why it's really important our data is a valuable asset and why the data of billions of people is an even more valuable asset. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about Google and the the whole situation with the news media bargaining code and what they have and haven't told us in this information war that they've launched. And data is at the center of that as well. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But in the meantime, the the data that we share is a valuable commodity. And what Apple's doing, they're launching privacy features to help you make a more informed decision on the data that you want to share. Now, you cast your mind back a little a little while ago, and we spoke about it on the show. The App Store now requires developers to give an instant summary of what they do with your data, how they, what data they collect and what they do with it. Call it like, a, it's like a nutrition label for apps. So now when you go into the App Store, you will see this nutrition label, which outlines the type of data that's collected, how it's used, so you know from the get-go, before you hit the download button, what you're in for. Now, Apple are also going to introduce a new feature called App Tracking Transparency. And this will require apps to get the user's permission before tracking their data across apps or websites that are owned by other companies because that's how they make their money. They on-sell your data to other companies. So you become a figure, a target for their advertising. And so this is uh, the next step. And Apple has already been quite active in this whole business and they've they've already been uh, active with, they've created technology to help protect your privacy, keep your data safe. Safari, for example, was the first browser to block third-party cookies by default uh, as far back as 2005. And what I'm sure you've had this where you've done a search, say you're searching for Gold Coast Holiday. Then everywhere you look, you see ads for Gold Coast Holidays. You're on Facebook, you're on Google, you're all these places that these cookies, they follow you around. That's the little bits of data that we're talking about that track you and that target ads in your direction. So the data that you create is all about what you search for, who you are, how old you are, what sex you are, where you live, what you do, what you like, what you don't like. And that is valuable information for advertisers. Because if I know that you are looking for a Gold Coast holiday and I send you ads, you're likely, as as annoying as you might think it is, you're likely to think, okay, let's have a look what they've got to offer because they know what you're looking for. If 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 you're looking for a new car... You're not going to walk into a grocery store. You're going to go to a car dealer. So that the, the, they, if they know what you're after, the chances of you buying something off them are, are, are greater, are higher. So that's how all this data works. Now, currently, Apple's in a really interesting standoff with Facebook. And the Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, has been quite vocal about 
Apple's privacy claims and the changes they want to make. And, and Tim Cook as well has been quite vocal. And basically, it boils down to Apple wanting to allow customers to limit the amount of data they share uh, and Facebook not wanting you to limit the amount of data they share because that's how Facebook make their money. When, when I've said this in the past, when you use a service that's free, like Facebook, Google, and many others, if it's free, if that product is free, that's not the product. You are the product because they are farming all your data. So the, here's, here's Facebook now in a standoff with, with Tim Cook and Apple about how the privacy and data is going to work and how much control users should have about that. And, and Tim Cook has been quite vocal about this, talking about, uh, and I'll quote him here, at a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms, we can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement, the longer the better, and all with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. It's long past time to stop pretending that this approach doesn't come with a cost of polarisation, of lost trust, and yes, of violence. That was just a snippet of what he had to say at a, at a, during he, he made a data privacy speech uh, at a, on a Belgian forum back, back on Data Privacy Day. But it's at the heart of this battle that Facebook and Apple are now standing, they're standing opposite each other and Facebook claiming, well, Apple's got the advantage because they have iMessage and they kind of control several platforms and the amount of data that's shared is now, Apple is now giving their customers the chance to do it because, because let's face it, a lot of people access Facebook through their iPhones. So if their, their platform is now dictated by the manufacturer of the device rather than the the the, per, the people who created the app, in this case Facebook, then there's going to be an issue. Once Facebook steps in between the developer and the customer, giving the customer more power over their data, there's going to be a lot of companies whose whole revenue model is going to be totally changed, Facebook included. So data in this instance and in every instance equals money. That's what we are. We're little dollars and cents. Whether it's a micro transaction, a few cents, times that by a few billion, and that's quite an amount of money. If you want to read more about the Data Privacy Day and what Apple's report, I've actually linked the report, A Day in the Life of Your Data. It's a really interesting read. There's a link to it at our story at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, changing gears slightly, we were talking about data a moment ago, and Google, uh, as we said last week, are, are now uh, sort of in these talks in, in, in the parliamentary inquiry talking about the news media bargaining code, which is basically a way for them to come to some kind of arrangement where news media sites, major news media sites, are compensated in some form for linking because Google and Facebook have the majority of the advertising revenue and news sites who are trying to maintain a standard of journalism, their ad revenue is dropping. And long story short, Google, uh, the, the government, the ACCC's news media bargaining code, wants to charge Google a few cents, I don't know how much, 
for making money off the sweat of journalists, basically. And Google have come out with a bit of an information war. If you try to make a search late last week, you would have seen this big yellow box that said Google searches in the news. And you may have heard about a proposed law we're willing to pay to support journalism hear our proposal there was a link button there uh, so so they are they're kind of not scared to step forward and share their side of the of the news media bargaining code how they think it should go down their opinion on what it is and their also and their side of the story and how how their explanation of what the news media bargaining code is one one of the things that you can see when you click on that link uh, is a video from the Australian Google Google Australia managing director Mel Silver. She explains in the video what what it's all about, the nature of search engines, and she gives a very interesting analogy. I'm going to play a section of the video to you now. You know how search works. You search, we show you links, and you decide what site to go to. The new law means Google would have to pay certain news companies to show you links to their sites. Now remember, we don't show full news articles. We just show you where you can go and help you to get there. Paying for links breaks the way search engines work and it undermines how the web works too. Let me try and say it another way. Imagine your friend asks for a coffee shop recommendation. So you tell them about a few nearby so they can go and choose one and go get a coffee. But then you get a bill to pay all the coffee shops simply because you mentioned a few of them. Now... The, that's, that's, the example she gave is, is pretty simplistic, but it does kind of get to the heart of what's, what's the whole news media bargaining code is all about. So in the example she gave, a friend asks for a coffee shop recommendations, you give, a, you give the person four or five and you get a bill from those five coffee shops. Now, you know what, as, as interesting and dramatic as that sounds, what Miss Silver fails to mention is that not only has she given the person a coffee shop recommendation, but she's also, in her analogy, hasn't mentioned the fact that the person making the coffee shop recommendations will also bombard that person with ads from now on based on their love of coffee, their sex, their age, their interests, their location on every platform they visit and the money they make from those ads is going to far outweigh any sort of bill, whether whether it's a few cents or whatever it is, that, that they'll receive from those coffee shops. That's that's in its that, that's the bit that she left out. Um, I, we spoke earlier about data and how valuable data is, data points, and how making a profile of you as an advertising target is further enhanced by your searches and what you look for, what you read. That's the part she left out. So the person who's trotted off to get her coffee is going to have coffee ads in her feed for the for forever, uh, and also ads based on her age and and what she does on the internet. That's the part they left out. What I find really interesting about this information war, as I've called it, is that we're not hearing squat from the news companies. Can you imagine if News Limited and Nine News, so the Nine News Company, which now runs Fairfax Newspapers, Macquarie Radio as well, which is part of 2GB's, one of those stations, 
and the New News Limited Press. Can you imagine if all of their major journalists got on TV and and said their side of the story about, well, yeah, Google linked to our stories and we were, were rather than advertising with us, all the companies that used to advertise with this are now advertising on Facebook and Google. Uh, our, our news our newsrooms have halved in the past 10 years. We, we only employ 50% of the amount of journalists that we used to have because the ad revenues are dropping. So if that had happened, I think there would have been an outcry. Google, though, every time you make a search, is giving their side of the story, not their full side of the story, as I demonstrated in that little coffee shop analogy, you're not getting the full picture there. Yes, you, you, you get the links, but you can, their data is what they're, you're after. Remember, you are the product. Google's not the product. You are the product. So can you imagine if news got up? So imagine if Rupert Murdoch got up or Peter Overton on Nine News got up and they had ads throughout the day talking about their side of the news media bargaining code. I think that it'd be people would be outraged. Yet Google are thinking, well, we've got a platform, we're going to use it. And good on them. They, they, they can do that. But here's the good news. Google has, in fact, suggested a solution. And... We, I think that this is the way forward. What they're what they're they're proposing is the Google News Showcase. Here is an option which will give publishers a, a choice to to choose and promote their stories online. So once launched, the Google News Showcase will show story panels so publishers can actually package their news their news stories so they can include video and audio and actually make something of it. And probably, and then what will result in that is a revenue share. So whatever money's made, clicking, advertising, whatever, there'll be a rev share. A similar model exists right now with Apple News. Apple News have a simple rev share. All the all the links that they share, that they they do a split with with the news company. So okay, yes, we're going to use your stories in our beautiful Apple News service, but we're going to pay you for them. So here's Google's solution with the Google News Showcase, which will be very similarly structured, where news companies can have some control over the, the stories they want to share, the stories they want to link. They can dress them up nicely in the, in the showcase and make it a service. And they will get paid for that. And there are already more than 400 publications, including publications from Australia, that have already signed partnerships. And hopefully that's the way forward. But I think that... Both sides need to tell the story honestly. Both sides need to tell it uh, how it is so that, uh, that we can understand it uh, and, and hopefully reach a solution. And I think that the, go, the Google News show, Showcase is most definitely the way forward. If you want to read more about that, you can read it at techguide.com.au. Well, Tesla has just unveiled the new Model S Plaid Edition. And I've got to say, as a Tesla driver, and I, I drive the current Model S, uh, I'm looking at these images and I'm totally enthralled. I, I, uh, these are incredible new design they've got for the interior, the cockpit. 
Uh, slight, slight redesign on the outside as well. But boy, it's a massive change to what we've already got. And it, the cockpit looks more like something out of Star Wars rather than something you drive. It's incredible. Uh, and I, for one, I'm thinking, wow, in, in a couple of years when it's time to upgrade my Tesla, I'll be giving this a serious look. Uh, I'll have to start saving, though, because it's, it's not uh, not exactly cheap. Uh, the Model S Plaid, though, won't arrive in Australia until 2022. Uh, and the first thing you see, one of the things, the pictures that I've shared, and you can see all these pictures on, on Tech Guide, the interior cockpit has changed dramatically. Now, we saw with the Model 3, they introduced the horizontal screen, and the Model S uh, up until now had the vertical screen. So the screen ran, it was 17-inch screen, ran, it was like in portrait mode rather than landscape mode. So deep, sort of the same shape as your phone. Whereas now, with the new design of the cockpit, it now runs in landscape mode. So it's widescreen. Uh, it's still a 17-inch display and has a resolution of 2200 by 1300. So pretty high-quality resolution, 17-inch horizontal display. But the biggest change you can see there is to the steering wheel. It's no longer a wheel. I don't know what to call it. It's, it's, a, it's a steering thing that looks more like a Formula One wheel rather than a regular steering wheel. So it has more of a rectangular shape, has that sort of race car design, and there are no stalks, no gear shifters. I don't know how you're going to indicate. I don't know how you're going to change gears. I think if you look very closely, there are indicator buttons on the left side of the wheel. So rather than you indicating by pushing down or pressing up a stalk, I think you reach over with your thumb and indicate left or right. But still, no, I have no idea whether there may be some paddles on the back to do the gear changes, so drive, reverse, and park. Um, I don't know how that's going to work because I can't see uh, behind the wheel there, but it's fascinating. Uh, there's only the two scroll buttons on the wheel as well, so it's really minimal look, similar to the Model 3. There's still the screen in front of the wheel as well. Uh, the Model 3 doesn't have that, but the Model S still has that feature. Uh, the screen itself, of course, ha uh, 17 inches, will have all the latest games and, and streaming. Like you, I think you watch Netflix on the new... You can watch that on Model 3 and on the later Model, Model S's as well. Uh, and so that feature will be there also. There's even a screen in the back. So if your passengers, uh, they'll have a screen that will probably help them do things like control the air conditioning and, and have control like that. It's a three-seater in the back, but there is a, a, a stowaway armrest if there's just two people. They can pull part of the middle seat down and have an armrest if there's just two people in the back. The screen in the back is also, you can play the latest games on it. And it is compatible. You can link a wireless controller. So imagine your kids on a trip or passengers in the back seat uh, playing games uh, on, on that back screen. Not as big as the front screen, but still not bad to have it there. There's also uh, high-speed USB-C charging for every passenger as well. Uh, the inside, again, very Spartan looking. That uh, The steering thing and the screen, screen in front of the wheel as well, uh, all very minimal looking, wireless charging for the front passengers also. Now on the outside, it has had a little little design tweak, the nose section, so the front section has, looks a little bit sleeker now, the sort of the air uh, the air vents, the sort of inlets to on, on the front underneath the, the Tesla logo has changed slightly as well, as has the side of the car and the rear. What, what else 
has disappeared is they've deleted all the Chrome. Re recently, the Model 3 did that. So now the Model S, wherever you saw silver, so the repeaters on the side, the handles, the window frame as well, the window seals, all now matte black color. So no silver. Even the wheels, the, the slipstream wheels that are standard have also changed. Uh, all the colors that are available, I think, are going to remain the same. The, the pick the color that is on my story on Tech Guide, that's actually the color of my car. It's midnight silver, it's called. It's more like a gunmetal gray color. But very exciting. Uh, the, the, the whole, I think the, the thing with Tesla is that they, de they never have one major update year to year. They, they, they evolve the car. Like this current shape of the Model S has been around for a while and the interior has had slight changes as has the exterior. Very subtle little changes that, that are incremental rather than coming at the same time. This is the biggest change I've seen. So the Model S plaid uh, biggest change I've seen all at once. Uh, but the other thing too, you got to remember that this is uh, these these are pretty powerful cars, and we'll be able to go from zero to hundred in two point one seconds. So uh, expect that to be a little road rocket. This one uh, and pricing, of course. Uh, the very base plaid Model S, I think, is going to be one hundred and fifty thousand and higher. Then you're going to have the the plaid uh, special editions and performance editions, and you're looking at over two hundred thousand Australian dollars, well over that. So, like I said, I better start saving for a couple of years before I can afford the Model S plaid. But if you want to check it out, it is a pretty cool looking car. You can check it out. All the images of the outside and that amazing new cockpit on the inside, you can see that at TechGuide.com. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam, and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Well, we're kicking off the reviews this week with probably the biggest product launch of 2021 so far, and that's the Galaxy S21 smartphone. Yes, we've done our review. We've reviewed the Galaxy S21 and the S21 Ultra. The Ultra is probably going to be the focus of this review, but on Tech Guide, you can see references to both the S21 and the S21 Ultra. And Hasn't Samsung hit the ground running two weeks into 2021 and boom, the Galaxy S21 is uh, unveiled. It's already on sale, went on sale last week and they've, they've started 21, the year 2021 in a big way. The S21 in 2021, I like it. But uh, what they've done too, interestingly, they've released it early. They just said it was ready, we're going to release it and I think what this also, it's interesting how Apple released their iPhone 12 a month late. They had some production dramas because of COVID and factory closures and what have you. 
And then here, Samsung comes out in 2021, releases their phone, which is normally a February or even a March release in January. So it's really cut down the, the free air that, that's, that Apple had with the iPhone 12, which was released in October. So they've sort of cut their grass a little bit. So they're, they're no longer the latest flagship device. Samsung's come in and uh, the Galaxy S21 uh, is already on sale. Interesting timing. And by the way, all the S21 variants, so there's the S21, which has a 6.2-inch screen, the S21 Plus, which has a 6.7-inch screen, and the S21 Ultra, which has a 6.8-inch display, they are all 5G by default. So it's standard 5G, no 4G variants. It's 5G or bust. So uh, you probably won't see a flagship device that isn't 5G from now on. Now, design-wise, they've had a nice little refresh. The The back of the device is probably the, the biggest changes. The big camera bump has now sort of merged into the top left corner of the frame, both across all models and including the Ultra, which has four lenses on the back and a, and a laser sensor as well. Uh, there's three distinct lenses on the back of the S21 and the S21+. Plus. And uh, they also have a really interesting matte finish on the back. So rather than having a glossy rear panel, which normally attracts fingerprints, they've got this really cool matte finish, which uh, which is fingerprint resistant. Like the, the S21 Ultra, which we've been using all week, you can't even see a fingerprint on the back. It looks really clean, looks really good, uh, and a big tick, I think, for the new design. It's, it looks really nice, looks really fresh, and uh, really delivers, I think, that matte, that matte finish is really cool. Display, of course, is dynamic AMOLED 2X Infinity-O displays. Look stunning. I think we've taken for granted how good Samsung screens are, uh, and they've delivered, no doubt, again here. Uh, what they've also thrown in is a 120 hertz adaptive display so your videos look smoother scrolling is better uh, just a really much nicer smoother experience it is adaptive so it looks at what you're doing on your screen if your screen is doing nothing just sitting there it won't use 120 hertz but if you're suddenly watching a video or scrolling through things it'll kick up to 120 hertz refresh rate so it looks a lot smoother uh, you can turn it off they say that it does sort of hit your battery a touch but I had it on the whole time with my S21 Ultra, hardly made a, a dint on, on the battery performance. So uh, I think adaptive display is a winner. I'm a di bit disappointed that, that Apple never included 120 hertz with the iPhone 12. I think Apple were maybe a bit scared that 120 hertz would, would smash the battery too much, would, would compromise the battery life. So perhaps uh, I'm hoping that the iPhone 13, so the next iPhone, will have some sort of 120 hertz refresh rate. It just looks nicer. And Apple's normally one of the first companies to offer that kind of feature that makes their content look better, that makes the experience better. Uh, I think, though, as, uh, as I said, I think it's the battery uh, not being able to, uh, if it, it affecting the battery performance, I think is what's holding them back. Hopefully, it'll be part of the next one. Now, one thing we don't like with, uh, with the new S21 range of phones, there's no expandable memory. Now, this is one point of difference that Samsung had over Apple. Apple has never had expandable memory. Samsung has. They've taken it away, brought it back, and this time they've taken it away again. Uh, I'm really surprised they've done this. I quite like having that expandable memory, uh, and especially, too, because you can shoot 8K video with this thing. I'll talk about that later when, in, when I'm talking about the camera. But no expandable memory, unfortunately. It does take dual SIM, but no micro SD card. Now, the feature, of course... That is at the center of the Galaxy S21 series, especially the S21 Ultra, is the camera. 
and it's it's no it's no secret that the camera is the the selling point of any smartphone nowadays. Samsung S twenty one is no exception. Samsung says this is the feature that 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 drives customers to change phones, upgrade phones, is on the strength of the camera. The S twenty one and S twenty one plus have a ten megapixel front camera and a triple rear camera system made up of a twelve megapixel ultra wide camera, a twelve megapixel wide angle camera, and a sixty four megapixel telephoto camera. Uh, and the S21 Ultra has a 40 megapixel front camera and on the back a 12 megapixel ultra wide, a 108 megapixel wide angle and two 10 megapixel telephoto cameras. And I was the photos you can see on my story from the S21 Ultra and I've got to say, remarkable quality. Just taking generic photos, colours are amazing, video is incredible, but the space zoom is a really fun and useful feature. Uh, and I've put on, on there a, an image that I've, that I've shown at 1x and I've shown at 10x, then gone in at 30x and then zoomed right in at 100x. And you can see the quality is actually, even at 100x, the quality is better than it was last year. Even at 30x, it's still a good photo. But what's changed with Space Zoom is a feature called Zoom Lock. So one thing about trying to focus on an object at 100 times zoom, try keeping it in the frame. It's near impossible. With zoom lock, you can lock in on that object and it's, it keeps it in the frame so it's a lot easier to take your photo or shoot your video. You're a real big winner. The S21 Ultra has the 100x zoom, the S20, uh, S21 and the S21 Plus has up to 30x on the space zoom as well. But what I like about the Samsung phone, the S21, you got the hardware there, it's brilliant. And in the hands of a good photographer, even an amateur photographer, you're going to take really good images and really good videos. But there are other features to help you utilize the quality of your camera. One of these features is called Director's View, which basically gives you the ability to film out of two cameras at the same time. So the front camera being one and one of the rear cameras being the other. So you can film yourself filming something else. So you get your reaction to what you're looking at. So this has got so many uses to it. I use a little example. You can see in, I've done a video as well. So check out our YouTube channel. It is linked on our story on Tech Guide. There's a little video of me talking to my dogs, the Dalmatian, Ziggy and Logan. So in the top left-hand corner, you see my face and me talking to them. And in, in the main screen is the other dogs. And so you can see both sides of the conversation. But you can just imagine this, uh, maybe at your child's sporting event. Imagine your reaction, a parent's reaction. They're filming their son or daughter score a goal or score a try, whatever. And they're cheering their child celebrating on the on the on the field that'll be remarkable video uh, and can be used in a variety of, of other ways the other feature too that's back again is single take now this is the the feature that allows you to not have to decide between taking photos and shooting videos because it does all of it so you hit single take and it'll start shooting for up to 15 seconds shooting images still images videos boomerangs all kinds of things and all these effects and filters are placed on it so all you have to do at the end of that time is look back at your files and think okay I'll share that I'll share that I'll share this and there are some remarkable images there for you to share now I mentioned earlier that you can shoot 8k video with this with this phone a lot of people are saying why the hell would I want to shoot 8k video well there's a couple of reasons number one if you own if you happen to be lucky enough and wealthy enough to own an 8k TV you can shoot 8k video and play it natively on the TV, so in full quality, you can see 8K. 
Now, for those of us who don't have an 8K TV, the 8K video is still useful because what you can do with your 8K video is pull out single frames from the video. So imagine that you still get a high-quality photo from the 8K video. So rather than you having to take photos at various intervals, you can just film it all in 8K and go back and pull out the best frames and there your high-quality photos from that event as well. Now, I was mentioning before about not having an expandable memory. Now, 8K video files are quite large, so not having expandable memory means if you're shooting a lot of 8K video, you're going to use up your internal storage quite quickly. So that's what, it just mystifies me why there's this feature on board, but not the ability to expand your memory with a micro SD card. Imagine having a micro SD card, you add another terabyte of storage, you can be shooting as much 8K video as you want. Uh, yeah, really mystifying that decision. Uh, on the battery side, the S21 and S21 Plus have a 4,000 and 4,800 milliamp hour batteries respectively. The S21 Ultra, though, has 5,000 milliamp hour battery and no trouble getting through an entire day and a half. Did it easy. Uh, could even probably stretch it to two days if you weren't too busy with your device. I, with my daily driver still is now. Uh, I'm getting a day and a half, a day and three quarters even, with one charge. It is excellent. Uh, the S21 Ultra is also now compatible with the S Pen. So uh, the S Pen used to be the exclusive domain of the Note family of products. Now the S21 Ultra can handle the S Pen. It's all in the screen. The others can't. So the S21 Ultra, if you want to add an S Pen, whether it'll use the same S Pen from the Note 20 or from a Tab S, you can now write and draw on the screen. Now, this has also brought up some uh, rumours that this introduction of the S Pen for the S21 Ultra may suggest to some that Samsung are going to kill off their Note family of devices. I, for one, would be very disappointed about that. I quite like the Note device. Uh, I've been a big fan of them, and when they come out, they are my phone. I use them as my phone. So be very disappointed to see that go. But you've got to think, Samsung has the Galaxy S family of phones. They're also, don't forget, going to have the Galaxy Z family of phones, which are the folding devices. We've already got the Z Flip. We've already got the Z Fold 2. So there are already up to third-generation folding devices. Is there room in the portfolio for a Note family of devices? I hope so. I don't want them going anywhere. Uh, they've got a massive fan base. A lot of people love the Note, hoping that it is still around. Anyway, time will tell. One other thing too, another bonus uh, is that the S21 series of phones are actually cheaper than the corresponding S20 devices from uh, 11 months ago. And up to 250 cheaper, that's pretty good. Although one thing, probably the reason why they're cheaper is the fact that you don't get a charger with your new device. The S21 has taken a leaf out of the Apple book, no charging brick. So it's BYO charger, so it's a much smaller box, which means uh, all you get is a cable, USB-C to USB-C cable. So you're on your own for your charger, or you can use wireless charging if you want to. That's a solution. But uh, no brick. Uh, they're going to save money, I guess, on the production. Hopefully also so do save the environment from landfill and all that kind of gear. And it's a lot cheaper to ship all these devices because the box is half the size. There's actually a picture of the boxes in my hand in the story, uh, as well as a full list of the pricing. The Galaxy S21 and S21 Plus, S21 Ultra are true flagship devices in every sense of the word. They've got a great new design, great range of features, and also have an excellent camera. Probably the best camera 
Definitely best camera on an Android phone. Arguably best camera on a smartphone, although the iPhone 12 Pro Max is pretty close in terms of quality and and features. So, yeah, that's uh, an argument for another day. But in this, in this case here, the S21 phones are fantastic. Uh, and if you want to read our complete review, you can check them out at techguide.com.au. Well, Norton uh, has released a new product, and it's for gamers. And Norton, uh, as you know, one of our sponsors of the Tech Guide podcast. They're, they're one of the biggest names in terms of internet security. And the latest domain for internet security, we've already got it for our computers, we've already got it for our phones. Well, now they've released protection for gamers and their online accounts. So they can concentrate on their performance rather than concentrating on their security. Online gaming, massive in in the in terms of a global scale, more than 2.7 billion gamers competing online globally. And that is a massive target for cyber criminals, and they have certainly taken aim. A recent survey commissioned by Norton LifeLock, conducted by Harris Poll, they spoke to 3,000 Australian gamers and found that 72% were worried that gaming was becoming less secure. And a further 35% globally have revealed they've had a gaming account hacked and one in 10 having their account hacked more than once. Now, when you think about it, a gamer's account contains a lot of valuable information and that is the goal of a cyber criminal they want your name your birthday your birth year your address your email address your phone number mobile payment all of this is in your gamer account and it all adds up to being able to steal an identity and that is currency for cyber criminals gamer tags gamer tags have been ransacked in the past and sold on the dark web And that immediately jeopardises gamers' other accounts, including their banking, social media accounts, puts them in a higher risk of account takeovers and fraud. So it's no laughing matter. Gamers, they have to be serious about their internet security. And Norton 360 for Gamers has come along with a multi-layered protection that can monitor up to 10 gamer tags and send notifications if your details are found on the dark web. Now, to date, Norton LifeLock has issued more than 60,000 notifications for virtual items and personally identifiable information that's been bought and sold on the dark web. So uh, it's really important. The, the, gaming for, the gaming protection from Norton also includes a secure VPN, uh, notification optimization as well. They'll, so they'll notify you if your PC is under attack. Full screen mode detection, so device security for PCs that detects when you're using full screen mode and silences everything but the critical security alerts because they don't want to disturb your gaming session. Uh, there's also a PC safe cam too, so it helps against, protect against potential stream bans and, and embarrassment with alerts on attempts to access your webcam so you can block them. Norton 360 for gamers is available now for the specially discounted price of $89.99. It's usually $149.99 and it offers 12 months protection for up to three PCs, Macs, smartphones and tablets. So if you're serious into your gaming, you've got a lot of information on your gamer tag, you can now protect it with Norton 360 for gamers. If you want to read more about that, check it out at techguide.com.au. 
we've all heard of Ring. They're the company that brought out the first video doorbell, the wireless doorbell. So now you can answer your door from your phone. It's been a, a, a real change, a real game changer for myself included. I, I remember installing Ring many years ago and all the packages that I get delivered here, I can now see them, talk to the person who was delivering them, tell them to leave them at the door, etc., etc. And I have answered that doorbell from around the world. I've answered my doorbell here in Sydney. I was in New York and I was talking to the the courier driver that was standing at my door here in Sydney. So remarkable. What Ring has done now, though, is launched its smallest and cheapest video doorbell ever. It's the Ring Video Doorbell Wired Edition. It's 119 bucks, noticeably smaller than Ring's other wireless versions. And the reason for that is it doesn't have a rechargeable battery. So without that big chunky battery, you're able to build a smaller doorbell. But to not have a battery, you need to have power at your front door. This is 119 bucks, but if you don't have power at your door, so this thing needs electricity to power it. So you might have an old doorbell that was powered. You could replace it now with ring. So this gives you the need to have power at your doorbell. If you don't have power at your doorbell, then you you buy the wireless version, which is what came out first. Uh, and it's going to be more expensive because it needs to be have a rechargeable battery. It's bigger, the whole the whole palaver. So uh, the Ring Video Doorbell Wired means does everything that the other Ring doorbell does, except that you don't need to recharge the battery because there's power at your door. And once, you, once it is up and running, you've still got the same high-definition video, two-way audio, so you can talk to whoever's at your front door. Uh, it is has all the same features, customizable motion zones, because this is also a motion camera too. It's a security camera. So you can create specific zones to trigger alerts. There are privacy zones, so you can, you can eliminate areas a home mon- owner does not want to monitor. Uh, it's also got advanced motion detection, activates recording when movement is detected, uh, and also... Uh, allows you to talk to whoever's at your front door. So if you're expecting a package, you can talk to the person who's making the delivery and give them instructions on where to leave it. Uh, talk to someone maybe knocking at your front door. You might say, no, thank you. I don't, I'm not interested in buying your product or whatever. It is all the same features you'd expect on a ring doorbell, but now in a much smaller form factor and now much cheaper as well. Uh, so it is uh, $119 worth. It goes on sale February 25. If you want to read more about the ring wired video doorbell, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Couple on the Tech Guide help desk. Uh, one interesting question I had: uh, a person said, "Look, we live in a home. I think he's from Tasmania. He said uh, we live in a very bright. We've got a very bright room where the TV is, a lot of reflections, a lot of things going on. 
Uh, and he said, do you recommend a brand that has no reflections? Well, virtually every TV you can buy today has an anti-reflection filter, especially the Samsung TVs. Samsung TVs, they made a point of building them for Australian users. Australians normally live in, in bright, open-plan homes. Uh, they do have a filter in their TVs. I also, I've got quite a bright, open living area. I use a, I, I, we watch an LG OLED TV too. OLED also has a filter there, so really clear viewing. Virtually any modern smart TV you buy today has taken this into account. So reflections on a TV are a kind of a thing of the past. I suspect the person who sent me that message has a much older TV. And uh, the good news is that virtually any TV they buy, be it a Samsung, and LG, a high sense, will have much better reflection. There's a filter built in, so they're not looking at themselves in the in the TV. They are actually watching the TV. The other question I had, and I've got, I've got this so many times, people who are upgrading their Foxtel boxes, their IQ boxes, and they all have recordings on their drive that they want to save. They've got a sporting event or a show on there that they want to keep, and they want to know a way of retrieving them. The bad news is you cannot and the reason you can't is because anything you record on an IQ is a copyrighted file. It's copy-protected file for copyright reasons. If you could easily export content from a drive on a Foxtel box, imagine you could do whatever you want with the file. So the, the, the restrictions are there for a reason, so you can't do that. And my suggestion, the person who sent me this email said, oh, there's some sporting events on there and shows on there. Guess what? They're probably available on demand, on YouTube, on streaming services. You don't need them. I don't record. I don't record anything now. I either watch it on catch-up, watch it on demand, or watch it on YouTube. I can find it. Any sporting event that you've saved to some big game from 20 years ago, I'll bet my bottom dollar it's on YouTube. It's, it's out there. So don't worry about losing your stuff on your recorder, on your hard drive. You're not going to be able to get it off anyway, so don't even try. Even if you took the hard drive out of the unit and got someone to forensically download the files, they'd have some kind of encryption anyway, so they can't be played on any other device but an IQ. So don't bother. You can find all of that content on demand wherever you need. So trying to get to your hard drive to save your shows is really not necessary. And that's the end of the show for the week. Boy, that went quick. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at our website, techguide.com.au. And don't be scared to get in touch. Hit us up on an email, info at techguide.com.au. Uh, you can also hit the Ask Stephen icon on the right-hand side of the Tech Guide website, and that email will come to me, and you may end up on the Tech Guide podcast. A special thanks, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.